We start today a series called Money Talks, and my hope is, uh, my hope is that you will join us and that you're, you will take the financial conversation in your house, whether you're single, whether you're single again, whether you're married, whatever the case may be, uh, that you'll take that, uh, that uh, your financial uh, knowledge and insight a step further. Maybe you've been stuck in one area. Um, we're really pressing in and saying, how can we take the, the finance conversation in our family to the next level? And so part of that is tonight at 7 o'clock, there'll be a Facebook Live that I'll be, uh, I'll be on. I don't know if I can twist Holly's arm. I, actually, I think she's got Mimi duty tonight, so it probably wouldn't be good for Holly to try to do a Q&A uh, while chasing Nora around. So uh, it'll probably just be me. But it, any questions that you might have about, uh, about fu- uh, finances and money, um, if I don't know the answers, I will get to the bottom of the answers um, by, by our next time. But I just wanted to create a space where people could have dialogue about it. Um, and so I'm looking forward to this month. I hope that you'll invite some folks. There should be a Money Talks postcard near you. And uh, and this is, you know, I, I've always wanted it to be that Lighthouse would be a safe place for people to investigate their questions. Um, anytime that you deal with uh, life issues, uh, the, the first, first thing that happens is people have shame as it relates to life issues. And can we just put the training wheels on here in this house? and say that if you're over 12 years old, you have made mistakes with money. And so we are all there. We're all fellow strugglers in that whole issue. And, and so the training wheels are on. There is no shame. Uh, we are, we're going to talk together about how to, how to take the next steps and, and, and communicate around money. For, for some of us, there just hasn't been good, uh, there, there wasn't training uh, in our upbringing about money. And so we're just struggling, trying to muddle our way through. And, and muddling our way means bounce checks from t- sometimes, insufficient funds. It, it means, uh, you know, back taxes. It means all the stuff that, that goes along with uh, the challenges of learning to handle money. And so we're going to talk about those things um, today. But I want you to know that I'm coming from a pastoral perspective. Why would I risk taking the time to talk with you about these things um, that are controversial, that are challenging? Um, well, because I want to help you. I, I want you to do well. I, I, I know the blessing of the Lord. I can live it, not just because I see it in the word, but because it's part of my testimony. I've watched God move, and I know he has it for you too. It's not just because, you know, I'm a special class of, you know, a uh, recovering sinner called a preacher. Uh, it's not that. It's not that. I want to see you blessed. Um, and so, you know, every, you know, that's my disclaimer. I'm a pastor and I want to see people not, maybe, okay, maybe it's a little bit personal because I don't want to counsel you in my office because you're fighting over money. So let me counsel however many hundred of us there are here right now so that I don't have to put you on the schedule sometime in the months to come. Anyway, um, so today, let's welcome. Pastor Holly. And so one of the first things that I often do when I sit with a couple for premarital counseling, and I've, I've done, uh, I don't know, probably 80 or 90 weddings or something like that in 30 plus years, and uh, is one of the first conversations that we will have when we sit down is, tell me about who handled the money in your home when you were growing up. 
um, because that is oftentimes, you know, the, the marriage that formed us as human beings is where we got our first instruction or lack thereof about money. And so the way money was handled or not handled or mishandled, <laughs> the, way, the way money was talked about set up our early understanding of money. It was either our friend or our enemy. It, there was either enough of it or, or lack thereof. And so Holly and I are going to start out telling you a little bit about our stories because that's that's what we came into our marriage with. And so why don't you start us off? Well, I remember um, growing up, there was tension in regards to money many times, but not understanding um, the specifics behind it because my parents were very, very careful to guard us kids from a lot of that conversation. So they didn't out in front of us, sit down and talk about whether there was enough money or not enough money. But there was plenty of times that I kind of got the idea that maybe there wasn't an abundance when we would ask for things and the answer would be no. Um, or, you know, we needed new clothes and as school was getting ready to start. And, and maybe we only got a couple of things where when, you know, when you go to school and everybody talks about all their new stuff and, or Christmas time, everybody talks about what they got for Christmas. I remember times where my, my list of things that I got for Christmas were considerably different from other people's lists that they got for Christmas. And so those things kind of resonated a little bit in me that, hey, maybe finances are a little different in our house than maybe some of my friends or people that I grew up with. But but still not this weight and burden of, um, you know, there's not enough money, but always knowing that maybe there was an abundance of money growing up. Um, but you know, some God did some cool things in that. I grew up in this church, so I grew up with parents who loved Jesus, loved the Lord, and um, taught us the principle of tithing and of giving, though I never observed them doing it on a regular basis. That's probably because of my memory, my memory not just uh, honing in on those things. But we were so consistent at church, and I knew the Lord sustained us over and over throughout the time. So I, I look at that now, and I look back and say, my parents must have been givers because God always made a way. There was always a way made. We never did without what we had need of. Did we sometimes do without maybe what we wanted? Sure. But we never did without what we had need of. And there was even a couple times that I remember um, as I think I got older and maybe I paid attention more. My dad worked very, very hard to provide for our family. And, and sometimes I don't remember the circumstances between his changing jobs, but I do remember he changed jobs quite a few times in my growing up years. And uh, one season he worked on a scallop boat. And I do remember there being times when he was away for like two to three months at a time and we would run out of money. I remember my mom running out of money and I don't remember watching her pray, but I had this sense that my mom, being a woman of faith, prayed and asked God to provide. And I remember groceries showing up at church and being put in our trunk of our vehicle, groceries being put on our doorstep at our house. So I, I remember that somehow in our shortfall, my mom must have prayed and God did a miracle. 
And I, if my mom was sitting here today, maybe as a mom, that would be somewhat embarrassing and, and feel like shameful that my daughter had, my kids had to go through that and had to see that. But from my perspective, I look back at that and I say, I thank God that we walked through that. Because what it taught me is that God is a God who answers prayer. And so as I grew up, because I watched that and I saw what God did, I now have faith to say God is a God who answers prayer. And I can do that in my home as a new wife. When we don't have enough, I can pray and see what God will do. So you know what? As parents, don't be ashamed. If there's a shortfall, if there's something that's not coming together correctly, that would be the tendency of the enemy to bring shame and to bring this feeling of I'm not enough, I'm not, you know, I've, I'm a failure. But what God wants to do is show your children who he is through that. That's our job as parents to always point the way that it's not up to me. I, my part is to do my part according to the word. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be faithful to follow after Jesus, but it's, he's going to do the rest. So let me show you how he's going to do that in the middle of what seems like a challenge or a shortfall or a situation. You're going to see God at work. That's the best thing you can give your kids. All the money in the world will never give them that. Teach them how Jesus will bring you through. So um, I grew up um, my early years in Michigan until I was probably 11 or 12 years old, and then we moved to Western Carolina. My folks split up when I was uh, seven years old, and uh, I so lived most of the time with my mom, and dad was, uh, I visited on the weekends and, and uh, some over the summers, that kind of thing. And uh, I never really thought about money. You know, when you're the youngest in the family, you kind of like you kind of just go along, you know, what are we doing? You didn't, you don't get to make any decisions. The decisions are made by the time it gets to you. You just kind of get pulled along, right? And so I had an older sister. She's four years older than me. And my mom worked, uh, I remember a season of life that my mom worked uh, third shift at Orida. Orida makes, you know, everything potato, right? So uh, up in Michigan, grow a lot of potatoes. My mom worked at a uh, potato processor that was south of us, probably about 45 uh, minutes away. And so uh, she worked third shift. My sister would have been, I don't know, whatever that is, 11 years old. I was seven. Uh, and so we would spend our nights uh, by ourselves. Uh, there was a neighbor a across the way from us, uh, uh, Archie and Eva Main, farmers that uh, she was a school teacher and they lived across the way. And mom was always like, you know, and, and how many of you remember the landlines that were party lines? Like I could pick, we were on the same line. So I'd pick up the, the phone and kind of wiggle it a little bit and it would ring over at her place, you know. And, uh, and so it, she, it, you know, if, if anything comes up, you just call Archie and Eva, they're right there. And so we were we were good. I mean, today, I don't know. You might get arrested for that. Leave your seven-year-old seven seven home alone. I don't know. But uh, different times then. Uh, one of the things, my favorite things about it, this is what I, I would remember, is that Orida had all different kinds of foods, and they had these jelly donuts that were frozen. And I remember mornings waking up in a, in a cold Michigan house standing next to the oven with the jelly donuts and waiting for the jelly to bubble because then I knew it was done. Seven years old, right? And it was like, man, I was living in high cotton. I, we, we weren't broke, man. I had jelly donuts for breakfast. Come on. Life is good. Um, 
I, the only time I, I think I really remember my relationship to money as it related to anybody else, because I, you know, I had my bicycle. Eventually, I had a, mo, uh, a mini bike. Uh, I had everything I needed. You know, we had the outside. We we played outside. There was no kid up, uh, up the street that had an iPhone, whatever, whatever. There was no competition for anything like that. You just played. You just were creative, and you did whatever you had. And uh, but I remember going on a, a like a day bus trip. I don't think it was overnight, but uh, they loaded us all on a bunch of Greyhound buses, and we went down uh, to Greenfield Village and Henry Ford Museum. And uh, and I found out that the the, the reason that, that I was in that in the group was because it was uh, it was like a social services sponsored uh, trip to get all these kids to go. And I realized what 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 concerned me was not the skin color or, or, or the condition of the kids. It was their attitudes uh, because I was raised in more of a family environment uh, where you respected adults and you said, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and all. And suddenly I was surrounded by all these kids that didn't function that way, you know, that were, that were really had attitudes and rebellious and everything. And all of a sudden I'm like, what is this? You know, and I, and I remember it had something to do with money, but I was never clued in on the fact that, oh, yeah, that cheese that's in the fridge is government cheese and 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 some of the foods that we had we were we were living on you know social services whatever the case may be and so I, I remember there was that and I remember um, that even though my dad worked a lot um, it, that that he never could seem to get ahead the 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 script was day late and a dollar short that was the script uh, the the more month than money uh, statement we got more time than we got money so we'll learn how to fix it and so my dad he can fix stuff man he can fabricate he can weld he can you know he can solder he can, if there's something you can do with your hands my dad can do it and and he did that and he still does today and uh still burns wood today and and you know all of that kind of stuff just he's very 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 physical in that way and and so i picked up on that and worked alongside of him and uh, so, the, so, but your ideas with, that came with money, I remember there were things that, that dad would do and he would try to fix a tool and I'm like, dad, there ain't no fixing it. Well, we'll just fix it. No, there ain't no fixing it. Let's just go buy another one. We don't have money to go buy another one. And I, that, at that point, there was this point of departure in my little soul because I said, doggone it, I'm going to go out and buy the tool that I want to buy. And we're going to go back here and we're going to do this job. And, and you know what? That continues, that, that, that process that continues with me to this day. If I spend money, it's usually on tools. It's something for the garage. It's, I've made tons of money with tools over the years. And the more tools I had, the more different jobs I could do. And so it was empowering to me. So money had an empowering effect because I could do more and, and not have to say, no, I can't. And then, therefore, what do I do? Sit sit in the corner or whatever the case may be. Is that what you call your motorcycles? Are oh, quiz. <laughs> that comes up later. We don't talk about that now. You just said garage. I had to throw yeah, that in okay, there because okay. they're in the garage. That's the stable, honey. She's only bringing that up because I bought another one this past week. So, uh, so, so it's, it's still early on in the working, working through. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so uh, what I want us to talk about uh, right here is this whole issue of alignment because I didn't grow up in a household that, of faith. Holly did grow up in a household of faith. And so I didn't know anything. I didn't know that God had anything to say about money. Um, I didn't grow up with that kind, of, uh, that kind of thinking that God would say something about money and what does God say about money and what's God's attitude about money. We're just kind of all scrambling around here doing what we want to do, but does God really have something that he wants to say? And so I want to talk first about alignment. Now, uh, the definition is in your notes uh, right there, a position of agreement or alliance. Um, I want us to talk for a minute about understanding that it is God's heart and desire, and it's always been God's heart and desire to bless you, um, regardless of, of the extreme teachings that often happen in the body of Christ around prosperity uh, that can get out of out of whack. God wants to bless his people. You cannot, the, the scriptures are very clear about that. And, and so don't let somebody's extreme view get in the way of you having a clear understanding of what God wants to do. And here are some of the scriptures. There's, there's an Old Testament patterns of blessing. By the way, some of this is in your notes. All of this is on you version. Um, but, uh, but the, the paper notes always are a little bit limited. Um, I, I said this, and I, I want you to understand this. Money is an excellent servant, but it's a terrible master. And if money masters you, it's a tyrant that will always say, you don't have enough, you need more, and, and, and your life will be spent chasing the dollar. But if you learn what God's word has to say, and you begin to apply it, and align with what God says, then money becomes your servant. Money becomes your servant. You're not subservient to it. It's subservient to you. And once you understand how it works, uh, then you'll relate to it properly. And, and uh, this is a, a beautiful pattern that we find in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read several scriptures from Deuteronomy, kind of jet through them, but I hope that you'll dig in a little bit further. Uh, Deuteronomy 14.29, so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And so uh, what, he is, what he is saying there, he's, he's talking about all of these other people in the storehouse that the house of the Lord is, and that people are, uh, people are getting their sustenance from this. And he said, look after them, because in your looking after them, I will bless you. Um, Deuteronomy 15.10, give generously to him and do so without, gr- without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 2320, you may charge a foreigner interest, but not a brother Israelite, so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. Deuteronomy 28.8, the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. Uh, the Lord will God will bless you in the land he is giving you. Deuteronomy 28.12, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. Now, what God is saying to Israel, there are principles there that apply to us today. This was specific to Israel, to a little uh, plot of ground that's in the Middle East, that's smaller and has these big, uh, nasty neighbors all around the outside of it. And God says, I'm going to bless you even more than, I, than anything to do with the neighbors, 
Like, I'm going to bless you right in the midst of this circumstance. Talk about preparing uh, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's Israel. That's what they deal with on a daily basis. God prepares for them a table. Um, but there was a principle that needed to be enacted. The people needed to be obedient to do the things that the Lord wanted done. And, and so in your notes, uh, here's the principle that I want you to, again, uh, to, to, to get to. Begin with the first things. Because first things always belong to the Lord. The first things. The first things belong to God. Get a hold of this principle. I tell you, a book that uh, probably describes this better than any is uh, Robert Morris's book. Um, uh, what is it? The Blessed Life. Thank you. Um, I got so many books swimming around in my head right now. I'm like, ah, oh, I just lost a title. The Blessed Life. Yeah. So if you get a chance to read The Blessed Life, and we have probably five or six copies uh, in the bookstore if you want to take one home today. Um, but The Blessed Life really does a nice job of laying out the theology of this and an understanding. But everybody needs to get a hold of this. Everybody needs to get a hold of this because you, once you are tuned with this understanding of this tuning fork, that first things belong to God, the first portion of what you have is always the Lord's portion because it's the Lordship portion. What do I have to do first? What's priority? And who gets to set those priorities? Does Dominion Power get to set the priorities? Does Penny Mac get to set the priorities? Does the wife get to set the priority? Does the husband get to set the priority? or does God get to set the priority right and if he's the one that brings rain on the land and he's the one that brings the harvest then he's the one that I need to honor and so we'll talk about that uh, Exodus 13 2 consecrate to me every firstborn male the first offspring of every womb among uh, uh, among the Israelites belongs to me whether man or animal Exodus 13 12 you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb all the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord redeem with a lamb because the lamb is clean and the donkey was unclean. Redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Ooh, that's harsh. Redeem every firstborn from among your sons. Why is God so strong on this? Well, here's the principle. When he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt with the mighty hand, you remember how he did it with uh, the blood that was on the doorposts and the lintel. And, and so God said, I'm going to bring you out of the land of slavery, but here's what you need to do. You need to prioritize. You need to do some things first. And so they sacrificed the lamb in obedience to the Lord. And everyone that was not, uh, that was not obedient in the land of Egypt lost their firstborn. That, that included Pharaoh's firstborn. That included the firstborn of all the cattle, firstborn of all the animals. Everything that was not under the blood, everything that was not under the blood. And how did the blood get there? The blood got there by obedience, by the people saying, uh, yes, I hear the voice of the Lord. Yes, I'm going to respond to that. Yes, I will sacrifice the lamb. Yes, I will apply the blood. Yes, I will, uh, I will roast the lamb the way I'm supposed to. Yes, I will be urgent about the things of God. Why? Because God God says, I want to identify for myself a people who are blessed, and I'm going to provide for them, but the, what I need them to do is listen to my voice and do first things first. Exodus 23, 19, 
Um, I'm going to read this, and then I've got to stop talking because Holly needs to talk. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Um, talk to them a little bit about uh, the principle of first things, love. And uh, Well, I... One of the challenges that I've heard in regards to the conversation on giving has been many who, who want to say, well, there's so much about that in the Old Testament. And at the end of the Old Testament, and we moved into the New Testament, then the, the, the same message of the tithe is not applicable. Uh, but I think there's a challenge to that because the word does continue on in the New Testament in regards to first fruits, but also because of the abundant work of Christ on the cross that raised Andy did, shared with us so excellently through communion this morning, the message of first fruits, your tithe, the 10%, the first part of what the Lord blesses you and gives you, takes, goes even further because now we come into the New Testament with a conversation of not just tithe, but abundance. Because the work of the cross didn't just save your soul and save my soul. That's the tithe in, in, in retrospect. But it brought an abundance. Because now we live in abundant life because of what Jesus did. We can live in healing because of what Jesus did. Uh, we can live in divine, in divine healing as we walk out. There is an abundance that came that transitioned into the New Testament because of the work on the cross. So the, the principle is for, for first fruits. But then in the New Testament, we take it even further to say, given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's not just a 10% anymore. What if God says, I want you to do more because I have more for you? So it's that transitioning. And that was one of the things I think that we learned in an early part of our marriage. First, trying to figure out when we got married, how do we now take what I knew as tithing principles, but also that when you give, God does something in your life when you give abundantly. When he speaks to you about giving an offering, maybe for a missionary or, or for a cause or things like that, that, that you give above and beyond your tithe, he does something above and beyond. Um, so I, I kind of knew that live it riding on my parents, um, coattails of their relationship with the Lord. But now as Ken and I are married and we're going to manage our finances, it's how does this look for us now? So how do we learn to navigate bills, understanding a tithe? You had just accepted the Lord a few years, a couple years back, learning about the tithe. Now, how do we make this applicable? And we didn't do it perfect at first. We really you struggled. You were always perfect. Uh, I was less yeah. than perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we made a lot of mistakes. Um, how many, you mentioned um, bouncing checks. I'm uh, afraid to count how many checks we oh, bounced. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Not uh, just you. I bounced no, a few, too. No, I know, too. but uh, you <laughs> bounced them because I set us up to lose. Um, um, I, uh, okay, because, you know, I, I worked out of the home most of the time. Well, well, Holly and I both worked until uh, until she was about, like, eight months pregnant with Heather, and then she stayed home while the kids were younger. And then when Jeremy was uh, going into preschool, then she went back to work. And uh, But I was, I was bivocational for a lot of years, installing floors and then working here part-time. And, and uh but, uh, and we'll get into this when we get into budgeting, but just, just a sneak preview to come back next week because we're going to talk
talk about allocating uh, and, uh, and automation as it relates to your your uh, your budget. But um, I because I worked uh, and I had my own work van and I had my tools and I would go out in a, in a day. And most of the time I didn't have cash, and so but I did have a check. Um, but uh, I would take a check and I would tear it out of the checkbook and uh, and never look back and then forget what I forget what I had spent the money on, like, you know, because you can't go buy a 7-Eleven without stopping and getting, you know, a big gulp and a big bite or something like that, and so whatever, and 7-Eleven would take checks back then. This was before debit cards, everybody. Before debit cards. for those of you who don't understand that, before debit cards. And this was when Holly was handling the checkbook, and so she would be like, where's all these checks? And I said, well, I don't know, and then I would think, well, yeah, I guess I did take one or two or three, and uh, and so... (laughs) <laughs> and, so, and so we'd be like bouncing checks, you know, well, you know, uh, in, in addition to what we don't have, we're about another $75 in the hole this week, and uh, whatever the case may be. Um, uh, we did learn that duplicate checks are a beautiful thing, and that you can like write stuff, a carbon copy, and, and uh, so that, that saved my bacon on more than one occasion. At least then I would know, uh, it would jog my memory, oh yeah, what did I, you know, instead of just carrying a blank check around. A lot of those mistakes and in, in our early in our marriage, well, probably for the first couple of years, I would say, um, of trying to figure this out. We, I used to keep track of the tithe that we still owed the Lord. Has anybody ever done that before? Like you didn't have enough. Thank okay, you for being okay. honest. Don't raise else. your hand for anything, anybody <laughs> here. No, no shame. So yeah. <laughs> but sometimes we just, there just wasn't enough. Um, and so our, 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 Ken's income was inconsistent because when you are your own boss and you work for yourself, it no, no two weeks are the same. So it was very hard to, to budget and that kind of thing. And um, our expenses most often in our early years were more, it seemed like, than what we had coming in per week. And so we understood the principle of the tithe. So we're attempting to tithe, but yet we're making mistakes we're trying to figure this out. We're falling behind. So I would keep track of the tithe that we did not have to pay the Lord because I wanted to follow that principle. And so I'm watching the tithe rack up, but I was determined we're going to pay that back to Jesus because we said we were going to be tithers. And God was so gracious. You know, he is so gracious to you when you're trying to figure this out. Even now you can be like, well, we're not newly married and we're still trying to figure this out. That's okay. He is so gracious um, that if your heart is to follow him and obey him, he's going to teach you and show you how. And he's very gracious to you in the process. So he was never waiting to beat us over the head because of our mistakes as we were trying to do this. And so over time, that list of what we owed him in tithe would get less and less. And we got a little further and a little further. And I believe it was the Lord watching our attempt to follow him and be obedience that he just began to bless us till we could get out of that. I don't think it had anything to do with us. I think it had everything to do with him. That he just began to bless us. And as he sees us following what we've given our hearts to, which is him, following his word, that he would bless us to help us get out of that hole that we had created for ourselves financially. And then bringing people along side of us to give us wisdom and help us learn things like duplicate checks Mm -hmm. and regularly going over your bank statement so that you know what you've spent and what you don't have. Balancing a checkbook. What? (laughs) What? Who does that? 
Okay, that's right. If I haven't, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender. I'm going to offend everybody in this room by the time we are done. You're going to be, you're, I'm going to ring your bell. You're going to know that I've been right where you are and, uh, and, and thought that thought, you know. And uh, some of you are, have gotten really good at, at being bad. Some of you have gotten really good at kiting one check and, and to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. You know what? What if you didn't have to do that? What if you allowed the Lord to help you build wealth mm-hmm. and you just had peace in your home when it came to money and you didn't have stress? What if money wasn't stressful? Woo! You think I'm talking about heaven, but I'm talking about money talks. <laughs> we'll have it by the end of this month. You'll have it figured out. Good. You mentioned something in the 8 a.m. service that I thought was really good, and that was you referenced it to the to the tune to the tuning fork. And I thought that might be something good to bring up here because I remember we gained ground, but then things transitioned because I remember when debit cards came out and we began to have a different way of how we paid and did things. We ran into some issues again, and we had to refocus. We had to realign with some principles in the word, but also in our home. And I thought that what you shared in the early service really applied to that. So, yeah. So this is, it has to do a little bit with alignment. You know, in, if you're a musician, you know you've got to tune your instrument. And stringed instruments in particular, you know, have a, a, a resonance and, they, and they, they, they keep that resonance based on the string tension. And so you tighten it up to get a higher uh, pitch and, and loosen it up to get a lower pitch. And, um, and in the old, the old days, and I think they still do this today, but there's a lot of digital ways to do it too, but uh, th- there was a tuning fork, and that tuning fork was made out of a piece of uh, spring steel, and it was uh, the, the diameter of the, of the tongs on the uh, fork were responsible for the pitch. And so you'd tap it, and, and it would resonate at a certain pitch, and then you would match the string on the instrument to whatever that pitch was until it, it rung true in your hearing, right? Um, there's an old preacher's saw. It says 100 pianos are never so in tune as when they are tuned by the same fork. And, uh, and so one of the things that has to happen is, is if we understand that God has a way of how he wants finances to be done, it's his, his word is the tuning fork. We, we can't come up with our own way. We first have to listen to what he has to say and learn to resonate with what he has to say. And we have to align ourselves with that. I remember sitting with couples and, and we, we talk about the tithe. They're like, 10%? I'm like 30% behind every month and, and God wants 10%? What are you talking about? Okay, calm down. We're going to get you there, but here's what you have to start to do. And, you, and you know, it's not all at once, but you, you start to learn to, to tune up where you're at. And like Holly said, every season, it's something different. You know, every season, every, these, these instrumentalists, when they got on the platform this morning, first thing they did was tune their instruments. Well, they, didn't they play yesterday? Yeah, they practiced yesterday. Instruments are out of tune. They got to they tune them every time they get ready. And so the more we, adept we get, so it doesn't just, we don't just fix it one time and say our finances will be good forever. Hallelujah. I never have to look at them again. It doesn't work that way, you know. And for those of us that don't speak numbers very well, you, you don't want me doing your math. I can talk to you about Greek and Hebrew and the finer points of Scripture, but don't talk to me about math. 
It's, it's embarrassing. I laugh about it because it's embarrassing. Thank God for a calculator. But even with a calculator, I make mistakes, right? So you got to have people that speak, speak money, speak percentages and dollars and cents around you because I can go, I can, I can go uh, make the money, but I got to have somebody else to manage it for me because otherwise it'll just get, uh, it'll get out of whack. And so, um, so alignment is so important. Was that? Yeah, that was exactly it. Because okay. I'm thinking as we came into our mar- came into marriage, and then as we progress into different seasons, we're taking the perspectives of how we were raised. Mm-hmm. So uh, me growing up, knowing that there wasn't there was enough for needs, but not enough for extra. In many cases, created in me what I felt like was a need for finances to be a security. Yeah. So. I want to make sure that we're saving so that there's always what you need there later in case you run short. Um, so that's my mentality. Right. Where you you kind of growing up was when I get finances, this is a permission to spend. I get to do something that I didn't get to do growing up. Mm-hmm. I believe it's the way you had right. said it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, this is kind of a freedom. Mm-hmm. And when I make money, once we've got our bills paid, this is some freedom that right. I can do something right. with, with it. And I'm thinking, no, we need to set that aside to make sure that we're good and we're set right. for later. So coming into two, from two different perspectives, the, we can have conversation to make that mesh. But unless we hit that tuning fork first right. Right. and say, okay, what does God say first of our finances? Mm-hmm. We're both in agreement that we need to tithe. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to put that into process and make that a principle in our home over our finances. Right. But now, how do we communicate do beyond we communicate? that for anything past the bills? Right. Now, that's going to be fun communication. So you would think. Fun. So you would think. Fun. Right. Communication is one of the top three most most difficulties in a marriage, uh, communication, sex, and money. Mm -hmm. And most of the time with money, it comes down to the way you communicate about it, especially when in in respect to the the way you were raised and the way your thinking was molded about money. So your thinking was shaped and molded about money and you, you, you have stories that, that, you can go back to and say, like I shared with you a little bit ago, I, I didn't realize that my family was broke until I went on this trip with a bunch of other kids that, you know, had come up in poverty. And I didn't realize I, I never saw myself as one of them. I never saw myself in that, in that mindset. So there are things that I, that, that I hang on to, you know, that, that re- describe or define my identity in relationship to money. And, uh, but what God does in his wisdom, and this is where the tension comes in in your relationship, and I'm just going to, I, I haven't sat in many of your homes, but I know you. And here's what happens. Here's how God like does us. this. Yeah, here's what happens, right? Uh, I heard this phraseology. There's a, a, a guy named Adizas that, uh, that, that is a guru on organizational culture and management. And he, he's a Russian Jew. And he said something in one of his lectures that I just love. He said, he said God in his wisdom causes you to fall in love with your weakness that is somebody else's strength. Isn't that profound? It, it, your weakness that is somebody else's strength and you fall in love with that person and and then now we have these 
these tensions that are good, that if we were all spenders in our family like Ken Kramer, then we would have a lot more hard time with money than we do. And if we were all savers like those, uh, like Holly, then we would just have a boring life and we would shrivel up and die and we would have lots of money when we die, but we would be boring. (laughs) I hear some bias in that statement. (laughs) But... But probably sitting in this room, there is a free-spirited person that's married to somebody that that is like, man, we're gonna save and we're gonna be frugal and we're gonna be we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this, and then you're married to a spender and you're like, what the what the, what's that about? And and so what do you have to do? Here's the word agreement, a negotiated and binding arrangement. Ooh, the free spirits just chafe at binding. A negotiated and binding arrangement between parties to an agreed-upon course of action. Amos 3.3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Jesus brings it into the New Testament when he's, he knows their thoughts, and he says every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. So what you have to learn to do in your relationship because God, and I'm saying in marriages now, for, for single folks, you need, to, you need to clearly understand your own relationship with money. It's not just a $100 bill. It's how, you, how that $100 bill makes you feel. It's what value you assign to that $100 bill. It's, it's what, what it does for you on the inside or maybe what it doesn't do that you try to make it do. Here's, here's where we get into problems with money. We, we, we try to allow money to do for us what only God can do for us. And when, we, and when we say, money will make me feel this way, and then when you get it and it doesn't, then you say, well, what, I, what, what I'm lacking is more money. I just need more, and then I'll feel a certain way, and you don't feel that certain way. That's because only God, only God can cause you to be at peace. Only God satisfies your soul. He's the only one that can do it. And so that's why Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. You'll always be torn. You'll, you're looking for money to do something that only the Savior can do. You know, you're self-medicating with retail therapy. But at the end of your therapy session, you're going to be found wanting, and you're going to have a bigger hole in your wallet than you did before, and you're going to feel worth less instead of worth more. But a few minutes in the presence of God, you get recharged. You get refreshed. Holy Spirit focuses you, helps you to think sound thoughts, right? But when we lean on money for what it's not meant to do, then we end up in a bad space. So what you have to do, and this is where your, this is where your little Sharpie and your index cards come in, okay? So I'm going to describe this little exercise for you. You're not going to do it right now, um, though the fact that it is in a public place would probably be good. <laughs> But you got to follow your pastor's instructions. Say this with me. Pastor Ken, I will do my homework. Okay, thank you. So, um, I, I, I read pretty widely, 
And uh, one of the books that I picked up a while back was called Your One-Page Financial Plan. I think Carl Richards is the, the writer. And and this, this is always humorous to me, humorous in a sad way, not that I'm making fun of anybody. But this guy was... Uh, he was a financial counselor who lost his shirt during 2008. Like he was counseling people on money but making bad decisions himself. And then he ran himself into the hole. Kind of like Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey has that. That's part of his whole story too, right? Uh, he was a real estate guy. And then, and then, but he was leveraged way deep in debt and then ended up in a, in a bad spot. And no shame, but that's, that's just to me, it's like, it's like a, a, if you're a physician and you smoke and you're telling people not to smoke, that's a little disingenuous. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, um, um, so, so what Carl Richards says to do, um, he says the problem is most couples don't know how they really feel about money. So when Holly and I would talk about money, uh, you know, I, I can't see how she, her feelings toward that money. I can't, I can't see it. I can't see what's in her mind. I can't see what's in her heart. And she can't see what I'm thinking or feeling about money either. And so uh, Carl Richard says, why don't you go on a date night and the two of you take a Sharpie? Why a Sharpie? Because it's got a fat tip and you're not writing a paragraph with it. Sharpies are for writing labels. One word. That's it. So you only get one word. And you only, you don't get a full eight and a half by 11. You only get an index. And so you can feel like a kindergarten and feel, feel real good about it. I'm in kindergarten again. And you write one word. Remember, did I say you're in a public place? So you're not going to have breakout in fisticuffs right there, get hauled off to jail. You know, you, you don't do it at home. 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 Some of y'all lazy people. Some of y'all, some of y'all savings people saying, well, do we have to spend the money to go out on a date night? We're trying to get better financially, and Pastor Ken's telling us to spend money and go on a date night. We don't need to go on a date night. Number one, number one thing I tell people in, in premarital counseling, do a date night every week. I don't, know, I don't care if you walk at the Yorktown Beach, you're going to neglect your relationship if you don't regularly go out on a date night. Well, we just like to sit and stare in one another's eyes across the dining room table. It's okay. Do it somewhere else. You know, you know, God's not boring. Christians are boring. I need to do the altar call right now. I feel it. I feel it. So you each take one of your index cards and you write the word, the word. This is what money means to me. Now, even if you're single, take yourself out on a date night. Go get your favorite dessert. Get that sugar buzz going and sit down and say, I'm going to write my word. Um, why? Because you need to know. You, most people never do this processing. They never do this reflecting. And so they're bopping around on all of these unspoken emotions that won't come up until you're in a tense moment. And in that moment, it's going to be like a landmine. You're going to step on it and there's going to be a blow up and you don't know why it's there. Well, it's because you stuffed this feeling that you had about money that is so deep it goes back to when you're five or six or seven years old. And your spouse or that significant other doesn't deserve that in that moment. But you never told them because you never thought deeply enough about how does money make me feel and write it down with one word. 
Write it down with one word. Now, this was very formational for me, and I think it's because I came up with it. No, I didn't come up with it. I mean, I'm, I'm the one that read the book and then said, oh, I think that's a great idea. And so I got the Sharpie, and I got the index card, and we went and got it. And, and it wasn't, like, transformative for Holly, but it was for me. And I was the one that needed the more transforming because it was my behaviors that were getting us into trouble. And so I needed to own up to that. I needed to get to the place where it's like, you know, you know, you know, draw draw the circle and stand in the middle of it. Lord, I'm I'm the one in need of prayer today. <laughs> I needed to make the changes, but it was it was transformative to for me to realize that what she, you know, we could have the same conversations about money, but what she's meaning when she's talking about money is different than the meaning that I'm having when I'm talking about money. Does that make sense? Um, you know, I've done a fair amount of cross-cultural ministry, and I've, I've, I've realized that I can be in Uganda, and they're using the same words, but they have different meanings behind the same English words that we're using. We have not come to terms because their culture is different than my culture. And, and the same is true in your marriage. You've got two different cultures coming together in the same home, and you're not in agreement because you've never said, this is what money means to me. You know, so talk to him a little bit about that, hun. All I can think of is um, I, I shared this quote in the Sunday in the earlier service today. Some great friends of ours, John and Molly, they're both on the platform today for worship. They said a statement the other day. I don't know. We were in an executive leadership meeting or something like that. And they just said, you know, we're not always in agreement. No, we don't always agree, but we always choose to be in agreement. And I was like, wow, mind blown that what you probably already try to practice in your home was put in such a simple statement that we may not always agree, but we choose to be in agreement. And I think that's a principle that we have learned over time in regards to money. Agreement does not necessarily mean my way of thinking has now changed to Ken's way of thinking. Do you get that? Um, you can't lose your identity and who you are in your perspective. Um, sometimes our perspective has to be adjusted, but sometimes, you know, I, I think we all understand that, you know, opposites attract. You marry the person that uh, you mentioned it before. You you marry a person who maybe is uh, a strength to your weakness and, and that kind of a thing. And so if you look at your relationship that way, even in regards to money, that there's we have constant friction here, but can we learn to communicate about why we see money, see our finances this way, why you see it this way, and then hone in while we may not completely agree with how we're going to spend this or we're going to do this. If I had my way, I would say, let's do this. If you had your way, you would say, let's do this. But can we come to a place of agreement and then move forward? And it's so important as you're having these, because one of my goals for you is to have a regular finance meeting in, in your month. And so usually I encourage people to do it based around whenever you get paid. So if you get paid once a week, uh, if you get paid twice a week, or I mean uh, twice a month or once a month, have a finance meeting around that time. Uh, it's usually easier to talk about money when there's some in the bank. I think that's a, so that's the start. Um, 
and and to start that regular conversation around money. And so we're we're starting first. This is baby steps. I realize this is you know for some of y'all. Yeah, you know, in, in the eight o'clock, you know, one of the guys said, "Hey, you want me to bring my spreadsheet?" I said, "No, nah, man. We're going. That's that's like master's level. We're down here at kindergarten. We're bringing out the crayons. You know, we're bringing out the sharpies. You know, it's no, no. But you know, but execute the basics first. How do I feel about money? How does money make me feel? Um, because that is going to then inform uh, this one page. If you got it, just hold it up and look at it real quick. The one page financial plan. Um, so, uh, so your index cards are going to create your family and personal values. You know, you're going to take and make some sentences out of uh, out of out of where we're going. So, for me, um, you know, when I wrote my word, uh, that that one that one word on there was 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 winning. I feel like when I have money, I'm winning. I, you know, not that this, at the game of life, you know, and I'm not a competitive guy, but when it, but when I have money that I can say, I could buy that, but I don't want to, I could buy that, but I don't want to, I could buy that, but I don't want to, I feel, I feel empowered. I could have used that word. Uh, you know, that, that is in, in, and I found because I didn't travel when I was a kid and my, and my folks didn't do vacations that, that I really, really do value the experience of travel. And so being able to get out, it's a beautiful thing that, uh, that uh, travel is involved with what I do as a, as a pastor. And I wanted, it was a value to me that I took my kids on their first missions trip when they got old enough to go because I wanted them to have experiences as a, as a child that I, never had to, that I was never able to do on my own. And it, what's important for you to realize is that because your spouse's uh, view of money is different, it doesn't make it wrong. It's not wrong. It's, it's a benefit to you that they think differently, you know? And, and so Holly and I can laugh about our, our differences now, but they were difficult for us. But you have to realize that the person in your life, you know, that, that if we are in this together, neither of us wants us to tank. Neither of us wants, wants to run it into the ground, you know? And so, but what we have to do is we have to keep the devil out of our conversation about money. And so the first thing we do is get into alignment with what the Word of God says. And then we get into agreement about how we're going to do it. And so you start with your one word. And then you say, okay, based on my one word, this is what I would like to see our, our value system be built around. So I've got one piece of that. She's got one piece of that. And then we bring the third one there together. Together, this is going to be a value system. You know, and so that prioritizes what we do. So for Holly, go ahead. You got some. I was just going to say, I think for when we did this exercise, the greatest benefit was we approached it as this is our dream. Yeah. So when you approach it with a mentality of we need to get on the same page because you're not thinking like I'm thinking, that way you're already inviting that friction into the conversation. Instead, this was regardless of how we have done things, let's just dream. When you think about money, what is that word that just brings all those dreams and passions forward? And so starting the conversation there, I felt like take the, took the pressure off. I think you're right. It wasn't, 
we have to fix something. Right. It was, let's set our sights mm-hmm. on what money can be in our home and right. in our relationship to do everything that you're dreaming of and everything that I'm dreaming of and everything God is dreaming of through us. Right. How can we put that in front of us? And that was so freeing and so releasing. I think it probably did shift mm-hmm. the way we thought about finances. And so some of that friction goes away right. when you start to dream and set your plans to those dreams. That's good. And I think uh, it's so true. You know, I, sometimes I'll say, you know, honey, if you had $100,000, how would you spend it? You know, and I'm would, like, I what, don't know. What would you do with it? And it's always, it starts out with, I don't know. But I keep, I keep pestering her and eventually she comes up with something. But for Holly, it's always centered around the kids somewhere. You know, it's always, uh, you know, uh, you know, just, just quick story. Um, years and years ago, when uh, we've always kind of played hot potato with the, with the handling of the money, you know. And so, and I've, I've never wanted uh, to, con- I never wanted to do the admin side of it. So I, I push it over onto her, but I wanted to do the spending side of it. But, uh, but the problem was I would run her short and then she would it put her in this hot seat. All of a sudden I'm like, well, I just gave you money. What did you do with it? No, you spent it you know (laughs) so so it was it was yeah we were a hot mess but uh anyway um you know uh I remember there was a season where I I just really you know Pastor Scott Erickson taught us when we first got married he said to me he said if you only have ten dollars between the two of you you make sure that it's in your wife's pocketbook that's what he said and so I always did my best to, to do that, to make sure Holly had everything that she needed. What he didn't realize was that same $10 that I gave her 30 years ago, she still got it. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so, you know, we got to a place where I, you know, I scraped and I scraped and I scraped and I got $150 and I was feeling bad because my wife didn't have any new clothes and I wanted her to get some new clothes. And I think this is before we had any kids. And, uh, and I said, honey, take this $150 and go, you know, how far will that get you today? I don't know. But um, anyway, take this $150 and go buy some clothes. And three months went by, three months, three months, and she still had not bought any new clothes. And I'm like, honey, you know, you're on my arm. You're, you're kind of making me look bad here. You know, no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Um, I, but, you know, I want to be the guy that provides, right? And so, and so I'm like, what? You know, and we got behind on, on some bills somewhere. And I said, do you still have that $150? <laughs> she said, yeah. I said, give it back. <laughs> True story. Give it back. <laughs> I need it right now. And, uh, and, and so you're, you're going to learn things uh, along the way. It's best, to, it's best to oil that up with a little bit of humor. Um, it's best to work through your stuff. Um, and, and when you understand these things, don't try to change the other person's mind. Don't try to change what their perception on that. The way they see it is the way they see it. Learn to, learn to appreciate it. Learn to understand it. Learn that it makes you stronger, and it's the wisdom of God that he put the two of you together. And, and you'll go a lot further uh, and, and, and have a lot more fun, by the way, uh, if you don't try to change the person who God put in your life to be who they are and to make you a better person. So, uh, so do your homework. Um, take this, uh, take this and, and begin to work on that little one 
one-page family value thing, the value statement, um, it, it relates to how we feel about money. Your, li- listen, there isn't a right or wrong. I told Holly, I said, I'm saying that, but the caveat is, you know, if you're a gambler and you blow all your money on gambling, I'd say that's wrong. Right, but but uh, but she wants to you know whether she wants to pay the house off and retire by the time we're sixty five and 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 do stuff for the kids. That's not wrong. That's just a, that's a thing. That's her way of looking at it. If if I want to travel around the world and do this and do that and and have experiences along the way, then that's not wrong either. the The question is, how can we believe God together to fulfill the dream that He's put in both of our hearts? Are you with me? That the what what is wrong is allowing unspoken disagreement to exist in your marriage. That's wrong. And it's wrong to say, you always, you never, because that'll cause you problems. Um, so there are, there are the, there are, there's the little bit of friction. I was, I was talking to her about this today. But what I tend, what I see Holly do is that she tends to think long-term security and family oriented. And I tend to think short-term fun. (laughs) And, and so we got it all covered, right? I mean, think about it. We got it all covered because I'm thinking about the here and now in the next couple of months and she's thinking about 20, 25 years from now. It's all covered. We just have to learn how to navigate it in the midst of it. It's not right or wrong. It doesn't mean I never think past lunch. It just means that I, I, I tend to think more short-term and about the things that we can do in the, on the short-term horizon. Does that make sense? And so learn to give grace to your significant other. God put them in your life for a reason, and that wasn't just to be abrasive to you, as much as you think that may be. Oh, you're just God's sandpaper wearing all the edges off of me. No, no. Have fun with it. God put the two of you together. And, and like Holly said, you know, fun, d- dream uh, along those lines and bring yourselves into agreement with one another. What is it that there's your way and there's my way, there's God's way. Now, what's our way together? That three-stranded cord. What are we doing together toward our, our finances? We're aligning with him and we're agreeing with one another. And in that context, God can pour out his blessing right? But you have to learn to come to terms and don't get uptight when they're trying to explain it and you ain't getting it. You say, run it back around again. Keep, let's keep talking until we move into agreement. Okay. I'm, I'm not understanding what you're thinking about this. Cause again, we're, you're learning to come to terms, come to terms. She's using that term differently than I would, than I'm hearing it. And so we have to learn to come to terms and that just takes time and patience. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that the devil will stay out of your finances. I want to pray that the devil will stay out of your communication with one another around finances. The minute you believe in God, you also have to believe that there is a real devil. Because the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. And a lot of people walk around like there is no devil. I've had, Holly and I have had conversations where, where all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, we, there was this angst that rose up on the inside of me. And I'm like, what? What? What's going on? And it's like everything she's saying feels like it's tearing me down. But I know that's not her heart. 
I know she would not intentionally do that. And in those moments, and it hasn't happened too frequently, but in those moments, I've had to realize that that wasn't her at all. And and that wasn't me at all. That was the enemy who is the prince of the power of the air. Where does communication happen? In the air. I speak it. It travels out my mouth. Sound waves go through. They hit the smallest bones in the human ear, in my wife's beautiful ears. And it resonates on the inside, causes a formation of a thought. And somewhere between when I send it forth from my mouth till the time it hits her ears and she interprets it and it comes back, the enemy has a chance to tamper with our communication. And there was nothing wrong with her. And there was nothing wrong with me. But he wants to divide us. And you just in that moment have to take authority and have to say, wait a minute. I know you love me. And I want you to know I love you. And we're not going to let anything divide us. We're not going to let this discussion about money get between what God has joined together. Amen. So you got to get serious about that. And some of you have wounded your spouse deeply because of things you've said around the area of money. Can we just today ask the Holy Spirit to bring healing to those wounds and then to prevent from this moment forward the enemy from tampering in our marriages in regards to money. It's not my money. It's not her money. It's the money that God owns that we get to manage. Right? That we get to manage. And if we manage it well, he will give us increase. 